You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. In the context of what we're reading tonight, Jesus has been very busy. I don't know if it was the same day. I think maybe it was. If you study back in chapter number 8 and even chapter number 7, Jesus is just busy. He's teaching in the temple. He's giving forgiveness to the woman caught in adultery. He's making statements like, I am the light of the world. He's saying, if you've seen uh, Abraham know this, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He was glad when he saw it. He's been dealing with these leaders in Judaism, and then he comes to chapter number 9, and the Bible said he's now outside of the temple, and as he passed by, he notices a blind man there. And I like that Jesus took the initiative. That man was so blind, he couldn't even call out to Jesus. And by the way, you and I were that way as well. I'm glad when we could not go to where he was that he came to us. You weren't looking for God. God came looking for you. Jesus takes the initiative and he goes and he heals this blind man and he gives us an illustration. He says, no doubt, as the sun physically was sinking in the sky on that day, he said, you know, the night is coming. He said, I've got to work the works of him who sent me while it's day. While I have opportunity, while I have the occasion, while it's advantageous, while I have this season, if you will, between Bethlehem and Calvary. He said, I've got to get the will of God done while I'm here bodily on earth, while it's day. He said, here's why the night's coming, and when it comes, no man can work. So he spits on the ground, he takes dust, and he makes clay, and he anoints the man's eyes, and the man receives his sight. I don't know if you've heard this phrase or not. I asked Pastor, and he'd heard it, and then I went to another generation, asked Joe Motes, and he'd never heard it. But Joe Motes is mentally slower than most of us, so... He wears Velcro shoes and he's in college. But no, I'm kidding, he's, he's fine. We used to use this phrase growing up in the country, so maybe you've heard it. Here's the phrase. you got to make hay while the sun's shining. You ever heard that before? Yeah. You ever heard that before? Make hay while the sun's shining. If you're going to get it done, you better get it done now. Take care of it while you can. In this passage, I'm going to use a little play on words. Jesus made clay, and he had to make it while it was day. So I want to preach on this thought. You better make clay while the sun's shining. By that I mean if we're going to do what God's left us here to do, we better do it now. If we're going to do something for his glory and honor, we better get it done now. For the night's coming when no man can work. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your power to preach. I pray that you give us a desire to glorify you with our lives, to pour out what you've given us for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe may be seated. I read an illustration in the office today about a business that had gone out of business. And often signs will be put on the windows of different businesses saying out of business. And this sign said out of business, but it gave the reason why. The sign said we've gone out of business because we did not know what our business was. I want to ask a couple of questions tonight. I want to address a question to us as a church collectively and then to you and I as individuals. And here's the question. What is the mission of our church? What is our purpose for being here why does this ministry even exist? Why are we here? Why do we have a church anyway? Why do we have a Christian day school? Why do we have a Bible college? What's the purpose of our Sunday school? Why do we put so much emphasis on that? Why do we have a bus ministry? I mean, is it worth it? What is the purpose of our bus ministry? 
Why do we have buildings and seek to build more and make sure that they're kept like they ought to be kept so when visitors come, it's a good impression? Why do we have buildings like we have on the property? What's the purpose? Why do we have a radio ministry, Brother Moyer? What's the purpose of that? What is the mission? Why do we have a publications ministry? Why do we support worldwide missions? What is the purpose? What's the mission? Why do we do these things? I want to ask the question, why are we here? What's the reason? What's the purpose that we serve? And what's the need that we're here to meet? What makes us any different than all the other businesses that fill up the Silicon Valley? There's a lot of organizations in this big valley that do a whole lot of good, but what separates us as a church? What makes us different? Why are we here? What's the difference? What's the purpose? What's the purpose that we turn the lights on? Why do we do that? What's the reason? What's the purpose that we pay the bill for the air conditioning and make sure the building's either hot or cold? What's the reason? Why are we here? What's the purpose? What's the purpose that we put all that money into paying for the fuel to run those buses all over our area? What's the purpose? What's the purpose that we have a, a Sunday school? I mentioned a moment ago, but why do you prepare? Why do we study? Why do we make sure the classrooms are ready and there's coffee and there's music playing? Why do we do all of that? What's the purpose? What's the purpose for cleaning the facilities? Why is it the people come in when nobody else is here and they clean the floors and they vacuum and they make sure the restrooms are ready to go and they make sure everything is decent and in order? What's the purpose for that ministry? Why do we do something like that? What's the purpose? Why is it? What's the purpose throughout the week that we pray and uh, Mrs. Treber and Pastor and others, they put together this order of service and we get the specials lined up and Elliot gets the choir opener and we put all of that effort into making sure that that's the song that God wants for that moment and that's the order that God wants for that service. Why do we do that? There's a lot of work involved in that, but what's the need? What's the purpose? What, what, what is the mission? Why do we do that? Why is it? Why is it we have a nursery? And if you're here today and you have babies, you say, I know why, because it, we, we have to have the nursery. But why is it? Why is it folks would volunteer to sit there for an hour and watch somebody else's, I mean, <clears throat> about said brat, somebody else's child and wipe their nose and clean up their mess? Why is it we keep a ready nursery? What's the purpose? Why is it we have church on Sunday morning? And then we're so crazy as to have it again on Sunday night. And then we get a little bit fanatical and even have a service like this on a Wednesday night. What is the purpose for that? Why is it that we have men's prayer? You ever thought about that? Are we just doing that to check something off the list? I mean, is there an agenda? Is there a, a reason? Is there a prerogative? What is the mission? Why do we have men's prayer? Why do we have church-wide soul winning and go out and take the gospel to our community? Why is it we have ladies soul winning on Tuesday and then we have faithfulness rally on Saturday and then other folks go out throughout the week? What is the reason that we're here? What is the purpose? What's the mission? Why did God put us in the Silicon Valley? Why does the church even exist? That's the question I'd like to ask to us collectively collectively as a church body if they don't want to ask the same thing to you and I as individuals myself and you what is your mission what is my purpose what is the reason for us being here why are we here at this place in this point in time why is it that if we're headed to heaven why did God not just save our sorry soul and then rapture us to glory the very moment after we got born again why did God leave you here why did God leave me here what in the world am I in the world for? What is my business? Do I even know what my business 
is. If you're familiar with boxing, you've heard that phrase about a knockout punch. Let's say he just landed a haymaker. You've heard that before. Some of you uh, fellas are familiar with that from the house. But if you watch boxing, a haymaker, and what that means is when that boxer lands a haymaker, he has landed a punch that has been productive, a punch that has accomplished the task, a punch that has reached the objective. The reason he is in that boxing match is he's trying to knock out that man that's standing there across from him. And he lands that haymaker. And it means he just got the job done. He made hay. Well, there's an old English proverb. We use it in the country. You better make hay while the sun's shining. It said you better get the job done while you have the opportunity. You can't put hay up when it's wet. You can't put hay up when it's dark. You've got to take advantage of the sunny day. You've got to take advantage of the dry day. And when that opportunity is there, when that window is there, when that right season comes, you got to give it all you got. you got to put all your energy in it. You can't waste a moment. you got to get all in, full throttle, whole hog. I mean, just jump in into that thing and make sure you make hay while the sun is shining. I want to make a play on words because of our text. And I want to challenge us as a church and you as a Christian tonight. We do not have forever to make an eternal difference in this world. But thank God we got a day. We got a window. We got an opportunity. We got a season. And God help us to make some hay. I mean, make some clay while the sun is shining. There's somebody hurting that needs help. There's somebody lost that needs saved. There's someone broken needs put back together. There's somebody wandering that needs direction. There's somebody discouraged that needs uplifted. There's somebody broken that needs mended. There's somebody looking for answers and we've got the answer. Let us not just sit still. Let's not be idle. We're not here to ride the pine till Jesus comes. We're going to be in the game for God and make some clay while the sun is shining. In John chapter number 9, we're dropped into the eye of the storm of Jesus' head-to-head collision with the Jewish leadership. As you study out the context of the chapter, you'll find it's very peculiar because this chapter focuses on a single subject. If you study the Gospels and then the book of Acts, most of those historical narratives will jump from one event to another. Some chapters cover days, some weeks, and some cover spans of months in the single chapter of the Gospels or in the book of Acts. But this chapter from verse 1 to verse number 41 is totally consumed with one theme and one subject. You say, what is it? The chapter is centered on Jesus healing a blind man. It begins in verse 1 and it runs the length of the chapter to the finality in verse number 41. I thought it was interesting. God only uses 31 verses to tell us about the entirety of creation. But God gave us 41 verses to tell us about the events surrounding Jesus healing a blind man. And that's because the emphasis of the Bible is that God is here to help hurting people. If you can read your Bible and not come away with knowing that God is here to help hurting people, then you better put your brain into gear and you better go back and reread it because that book is a record that we have a God who's interested in helping those that cannot help themselves. I was reading in this chapter and it's, uh, it, it starts out with the tragedy of blindness. Now two kinds of blindness are evident in the beginning of the chapter. There's physical blindness. There's a man who cannot see. And then there's spiritual blindness, the disciples, who instead of having compassion and wanting to help, ask questions about the man's testimony and that of his parents. 
Can I say it is sad when somebody is traditionally or religiously high in acumen and then spiritually inept? I think I might say it again. I liked it. I might say it twice. I mean, they're high in religious or traditional acumen and spiritually inept or lacking. These disciples didn't see the need like Jesus saw the need. Now, let me say it again. If you study chapter 7 and chapter 8 into chapter 9, Jesus has been busy. All throughout chapter number 8, Jesus is involved in the work that he was sent to do. Jesus begins in chapter 8, and he's there at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus deals with this crowd that's trying to stone this woman that's been caught in the act of adultery. That always bothered me a little bit because those fellas obviously were looking in on something they didn't have any business looking in on and kind of set that lady up. And Jesus put them in their place. He said, before you throw a stone, you might want to do some introspection. Let me stop and parenthetically say it'd be a good day if you just come and wear your Sunday tie, your Sunday dress, and leave your stone at the house. They drop their stones in the dirt. Jesus writes whatever he did there in the ground, and they just go their way. You keep on studying. Jesus begins to make statements. I am the light of the world. He talks about the fact that Abraham saw his day and rejoiced. He calls out the, the Pharisees and says, you're of your father, the devil. The Pharisees come back and say that Jesus has a devil, and he's teaching in the temple and then in the treasury of the temple, and now he leaves. The day is long spent. The sun is beginning to set in the sky. And as they walk outside the temple, there's a man there blind. He can't see Jesus. He doesn't know to cry out for Jesus. He's just there blind. And Jesus sees him. And as he looks on him and that sun sinks down, Jesus takes the initiative and goes to meet the need in his life. Now, I want you to think about the blind man. Think about his disease. His disease is an inherited disease. He had this from birth. He didn't have an accident and get this disease he was born with that disease it was an incurable disease there's no man physically cured of his blindness it was a, a disease that would have caused much scandal and he'd been looked down upon because of his disease but I'm glad Jesus saw the man's soul he saw the man's need and he goes to this man now there's some things about the Lord I want you to notice number one notice this Jesus is out what do you mean he's out I mean at least he's out there where people are I found out there's a lot better chance for you to help somebody if you're out where people are that need help. You know who doesn't win souls? People who don't go soul winning. Amen. You know who never encourages anybody? People who don't go hang around people that need encouraged. Jesus is out, but Jesus is observing. He sees that man sitting there, and he sees him. He takes time, and he notices him. Next, I notice Jesus is optimistic. They said, hey, did that fellow sin or his parents? And Jesus said, don't worry about it. It's neither one of those things for the glory of God. He didn't see that man as a helpless case. He saw that man as an opportunity to give a testimony to how good God could be in his life. And then he took ownership of it. He said, I've got to go help that man. I can't let somebody else do it. He said, I've got to go and do something about his situation. And now verse 4 through verse 6 is where I want us to look tonight for our thought. Look what Jesus says to his disciples. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night 
cometh, that means it's always advancing, it's constantly approaching, it cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, and he made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Jesus took personal responsibility. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me. He spits on the ground, he makes clay, he anoints the eyes of that man, that man runs to the pool of Siloam and washes like Jesus said, and he comes back able to see. But I like the statement. The Lord looks at his disciples and he reminds them of the brevity of life and also the brevity of the age in which we are serving. That night can mean something physical and something prophetic. All of us have a start date and an end date to our life. We don't have forever here on earth, but also this age of grace is quickly coming to a close. And one of these days, the trump will blow and the church will go and we'll be out of here at the rapture of the church. And when that night comes, can I say it's too late for those who've heard the gospel, the church will be gone, the Holy Ghost will be gone, and they'll be left here for great tribulation. And here's my challenge to us as a church. If we're going to do the will of God, if we're going to make clay, if you will, we better do it now while we have the opportunity, not somewhere else but right here, not someone else but us. I mean, not some other day, but right now. Now's the day. Now's the time. Closer than ever. Our redemption draweth nigh, and it's time to do a work for God. I'm not content just to hold the fort till Jesus comes. I want to take more ground for God till Jesus comes. I don't want to just maintain. I don't want to just level out. I don't want to be on autopilot, but I want to obey my Bible and doing so much the more as we see the day approaching. Can I say the night is coming when no man can work. Our work has a season. Our work has a close. We must be busy about the Father's business. I'm afraid there's a lot of churches in America and around the world. They're like that illustration. They don't even know what their business is. They're just abiding. They're just floating down the stream of time. They're not making any difference in this world. Let that not be us. Let's not be content nor satisfied. We've got to do a work for God while it's day. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Ephesians 5, 16 tells us, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Between the daybreak of your salvation and the sunset of your life, the testimony ought to be, I must work. Would you not agree with me? Shadows are quickly falling. Dusk is quickly coming. Night is, a, is approaching at a fast pace. But while it's day, we must work the works of him who sent us. Let me say it again. Make clay while the sun is shining. Our agenda, what is it? Our purpose, what is it? Our mission, what is it? Here it is. It's to help the blind people of our generation see the light of the gospel. I tell you what it is. It's souls that need a savior. That's our purpose tonight. It's sheep that are scattered with no shepherd. That's our purpose tonight. It's harvest fields that are white and ready and need laborers to go work in the field. That's our purpose tonight. Our purpose is to make clay. I'm talking about for sinners that need salvation and young people that need some direction and families that need some hope and a city that needs a light to shine in the future of our nation. It is day. It is our time. I thought about this tonight. All those churches in the book of Acts, many of them probably did not realize that they were going to get put there in the canon of Scripture, but as they ministered, they were writing their chapter of church history. But can I say 2022? 
to and until Jesus comes. And for the past 46, 47 years, it has been our page as a church to write our chapter in church history. And can I say that book is not closed yet. There's still more story to write. There's still more work to do. The sun is not sunk yet on the horizon. It's still shining for us. There's still opportunity. The night is coming, but it hadn't arrived yet. And I want to challenge your night. The night cometh, so we got to keep preaching the Bible. The night is coming. We got to keep going soul winning. The night is coming. We got to teach our Sunday school. The night is coming. We got to run the buses. The night is coming. We got to give an offering. The night is coming. We got to love on people. The night is coming. We got to serve our city. The night is coming. I've got to work the works of Him that sent me. It's a personal thing. I, it's a pressing thing. Must, it's a purpose thing. The works of Him, and it's a passing thing. The night is coming where no man can work. You better work while your hands can still grasp. You better work while your feet can still go. You better work while your mouth can still herald. You better work while your eyes can still see. You better work while your ears can still hear. You better work while your heart can still beat. You better work while you're still here. You don't have opportunity to get it done for God. I was reading today, John Wesley would wake up at 4 a.m. I read a big thing today. I think I'm going to share it on Friday in church, Ed. A whole sermon on sleep. I could preach a whole sermon on sleep just by personal illustrations of who did it while I've preached. <laughs> Mofi does it. Who else? Let's see. One of these days, if you do, I'll get your trumpet. I'll wake you up. I don't even think I could make a sound with it. He'd get up at 4 a.m. and then he'd preach his first sermon of three per day, usually around 5 a.m. That's what the... That's what the biography I had said he got to be 86 years of age I believe is what it said over 80 years old and he got discouraged because he found himself having to sleep until 5 a.m. and only being able to preach twice per day traveled all those miles on horseback you say why would a man spend his body his energy like that he understood he better work for the night is coming when man can work no more I thought about other illustrations. I have them written down. I, I, I thought about <clears throat> George Whitfield, his story at the end of his life, where he'd already preached throughout the day and he was ill anyway, and he went back to retire for the night, and a crowd met in the bottom of his inn and wanted him to come preach. And he could have very easily just gone to bed that night, but he didn't. He turned around, went halfway down the steps, and preached to the crowd there at the base of the steps. And they said the candle burned out in his hand, and when it did, he finished, went up to his room, and he went home to see Jesus that night. See, why would the man not just say, come back tomorrow and hear me preach tomorrow? He understood. Hey, listen, the sun is setting. Don't have forever to do something of eternal value. He said, I got to do it today while it is day. He said, I got to work the works of him that sent me. I thought about this uh, a man named John Vassar. Have you heard of John Vassar? John Vassar, D.L. Moody used to talk about him quite often. John Vassar was a peculiar little preacher, but he was a soul winner. He called himself God's sheepdog. Everywhere he went, he just would be a soul winner. He got the witness to Ulysses S. Grant, U.S. President, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the General of the Union Army. And he got to a witness to him and said the way he would do it is he'd grab his hand. When Ulysses S. Grant reached out to shake his hand, he grabbed it wouldn't let go of it. Sound like Carl Hatch, you know. But anyway, he just grabbed it and wouldn't let go of it. He got the witness to him. He got the witness to a man named uh, Brigham Young. You know who that is? Founder of the Mormon cult. Right? Everybody all right? <laughs> Mormon cult. <laughs> Let's want to make sure we understand this. Witness to him. Did he get saved? No. <laughs> he did not get saved. They said on one occasion he was in a hotel lobby, very fancy upscale hotel. 
And he, sort of like the men's dorms here, you know, very fancy, nice place. I walked in the men's dorms the other day to try to get in that storage closet and I almost passed out. It was the first time I've been pro-mask since COVID started. <laughs> it made me pro-mask and pro-deodorant. I was already pretty, pretty much pro-deodorant, but now I'm severely pro-deodorant. <laughs> that was nasty. The reason most of these guys are single is because they stink. They're slobs. They're horrible men. That's why they're in Bible college. To learn from us in our good spirit. <laughs> but anyway, it stunk in there. Where was I at? Oh, anyway, it was a very nice hotel. There's a lady in there dressed all fancy. And he began to witness to her and she began to weep and he led her to Christ. That lady's husband came in and said, what's wrong with you? And she said, the most peculiar little man witnessed to me and told me about Jesus. And he said, if I'd have been here, I'd have told him to go mind his own business. She said, if you'd have been here, you would have known that was his business. Talking about the apostle Paul who just traveled constantly. Endured all that hardness. Why did he do that? He understood, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. For the night cometh. We sing this song sometimes. Maybe we could sing it tonight during invitation if you want to. We can. I won't lead it. I'll have Brother Martinez do it. Work for the night is coming. A lady named Annie Walker wrote this song. She wrote a poem. Nine stanzas long. It was published later. 1854 it was published, I believe. Published by a man in Boston, Massachusetts. She was from England. The last stanza says, Work for the night is coming under the sunset skies. While their bright tints are glowing, work for daylight flies. Work to the last beam fadeth, fadeth to shine no more. Work while the night is darkening when man's work is o'er. But one of the other stanzas that's not included in the hymn book went like this. Work for the blessed master. Long as he lends you breath, his precious blood redeemed you, saved your soul from death. Work for the world is lying under the curse of sin. Work for the Savior calls you other souls to win. I thought about the testimony of this man in verse 11. They said, what happened to you? And he said, a man that is called Jesus made play. And I thought about what that'd be like in heaven one day when you're there. And maybe somebody around the throne said, how'd you get here? And somebody else will respond, a man named ran a bus. A lady named taught a Sunday school class. A singer named sang a special. They made clay in their day. And all I know is I used to be blind, but thank God now I can see. I want to challenge you. Let's not get into spiritual prepper mode and get our canned goods and hide out in a bunker somewhere. If ever there was a day when we should be advancing, it's right now. We're here to work the works of him who sent us while it is day. I'm going to pray the altar is open, and I want to challenge you. If you even had an inclination of quitting, why don't you come repent of that tonight and get back in? Or maybe you've been discouraged. Why don't you come and tell the devil to quit bugging you and get involved? Get back in. But let's just resolve we're going to work for Jesus till he comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. Work for the night is coming. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.